You're listening to Big Pulp Audio for the week of May 22nd, 2016. Know nothing, huh? Hello, and welcome back to Big Pulp Audio, the official podcast of Big Pulp Publications. I'm Bill Olfer, editor and publisher of the Big Pulp line of sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and mystery magazines and anthologies. If you haven't found us online, our address is www.bigpulp.com. Each week, I'll be talking to writers and artists whose work has appeared or will appear in our books, as well as special guests from the world of indie comics, geek culture, and the small press. On occasion, we'll also talk about what goes on behind the scenes at Big Pulp, uh, Things like our submission process, what kind of fiction and poems we like and what we're looking for, and special events and readings. Uh, this week, I am very happy to welcome one of my favorites, Deanna Nippling, to the podcast. Uh, Deanna's work has appeared numerous times in our publications, uh, several times in Big Pulp Magazine, in Child of Words, our sci-fi magazine, and in our anthologies, uh, Black Chaos 2, Ape Shit, and most recently, Way Out West. Uh, Deanna is also a self-publisher at Wonderland Press um, with several books out. So welcome, Deanna. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. So tell us a little bit about you. I am, I write all kinds of things. And I am absolutely fascinated by any kind of story that somehow resembles a fairy tale. I come from out of the middle of nowhere. I mean, literally so. I'm from uh, central South Dakota. So there's a lot of, um, how do you entertain myself in my background? I currently live in Colorado, and I am doing a lot of ghostwriting lately. Ah, my second ghostwriter guest. Oh. Ah. So, of course, now you can't, of course you can't tell me what you're ghostwriting, so. No. <laughs> well, I, 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 can, I can vaguely describe it. Um, I, normally, from under my own name, it, it's been a learning experience. Under my own name, what I like to write is sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, but a lot of my clients lately have been all about like thrillers and mysteries and so I'm having to learn a couple of new genres and the, the I'm not quite up to thriller standards yet I'm, I have to technically call it a suspense but I wrote my first official non um, fantastic non non supernatural serial killer and that was far more disturbing than the <laughs> that I, write. I was like this guy dies at the end the, the the client was like oh are you sure maybe he could come back later no he will not come back later he's <laughs> coming back no <laughs> i can't believe there's some, there's a villain that scared you or disturbed it wasn't that you he scared me so much i mean he was very scary but it wasn't that he scared me it was that he hit too close to home i was uh, like yep i could see myself doing that oh <laughs> not not like what he did or what sure he sure me, but like his thought process and like well you know this is kind of what i was brought up to and sometimes i kill bad guys and sometimes i just like to kill blonde people because you got to take a break sometimes <laughs> he was kind of an airhead so eventually he he was just like i can't handle all of this stuff it's too overwhelming um there are too many things going on i think i'll just let the cops kill cops catch me <laughs> because i can't handle this by myself anymore you know and i was just like dude <laughs> i could just see if I were going to be a serial killer, I, eventually I would give myself away because I'm like, I can't keep track of the lies anymore. 
it's it's a lot of it's a lot of work actually i've imagined that i'm not up for this yes now it's now it's it's a good good segue we, you i love your villains i mean that is that is one of the, the common thread i think um through a lot of your your stories uh, that we've published is that you just have great villains and great even even just great main characters your protagonists who aren't necessarily very likable um <laughs> you know, i, know I it, like them. yeah well yeah so did i so do i but you're like in uh, your first story that we of yours that we published uh I, and i'm going to mangle the pronunciation probably but ovlicheni is that right is that right um i have no idea how to pronounce it seriously okay <laughs> uh, it's just a it's just a russian word and i was like oh i love that word it's a beautiful so, word I, I think I is. did look it up, but I can't remember what it means. But I did look it up when I when you got sent the uh, story. The feeling of falling in love. Yes. I think so. Yes. Nice. But your your main so, character in that is. Or the addiction of falling in love. Oh, she's harsh. She's harsh. Yes, she's not. <laughs> she's not very likable. But she's she is likable. But she's not in the story. She's not very likable. You to the other characters. I mean, she causes oh, trouble. She fights. Just not liking her. Yeah. Very yes, but you you create great great villains i i think i, I told you your your story way, way out west poindexter and guillaume i think were your were, were the worst you've ever done so oh and those were the villains those were the protagonists <laughs> yeah, that's right they were the protagonists and and again the uh the other character who they who winds up encountering poindexter and guillaume she is in some ways not sympathetic um you know you empathize with her and she said she's had a lot of grief in her life but you know, there are also, you know, there are also things about her personality that people would find me perhaps unappealing or very unpleasant to look at. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. So where do, where do, where do your villains come from? I mean, you, you, how do where do you build these? Cause I, I gotta say Poindexter and Guillaume were, were pretty, they were pretty creepy even for me. They in particular, I really just like the whole idea of having a pair of bad guys running around and doing horrible things. And at the time I had just read, it, there's this book called uh, Debt, The First 5,000 Years. And he talks a lot about how the concept of debt itself is just kind of an arbitrary one. And I was thinking about that. And he's he does a lot of, he talks a lot about anthropology in his book. And uh, I wanted her villains that reflected the Old West. Okay. Because that's, I'm, I'm from South Dakota. So that's, that's my roots. That's, that's how I think about things. And I wanted a pair of villain characters, you know, like uh, Neil Gaiman is in, in a bunch of his books. He has a pair of awful characters who go around doing awful things. He, he, he. And I've just, I've always liked them. And I wanted to write a pair and I wanted to, to connect those back to this book that I just read. I was like, oh, this book is the greatest. Pairs of villains. They're the greatest. Yay. <laughs> So I wasn't trying to be creepy. It was just like, you know, here's the one character that represents this one thing. And here's the other character who represents yes, this other thing. And, you know, it, there's this always the uh, a man with black boots, a woman with pointy hair. They fight crime. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, these, these two characters, uh, they don't fight crime. They are crime. They are crime. So, yeah, it's kind of an evolution of crime. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, so I think to sum up, I, I just really don't, I don't think about it too hard. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I think about many things too hard, but I don't think about who would make a good villain too hard. I just get obsessed about certain points of view, and I'm like, oh, all my characters are stupid. Uh, <laughs> I think maybe that's a better way to say it. It's not that my villains are good. It's that I think all of my, my characters are attitude problems. <laughs> so is, is that where – so do you do your stories generally start from, like, like character? Is that you, – you, you get a, a, a person in your in your mind or a villain or a – where do you where how do you how do you start where do you, where's your entry point 
They never start with characters. It's weird. They always start with ideas. But I can't get out the gate until I have a voice to tell the story through. Right. So I, I know I'm ready if I have someone talking in my head who's not me. But I never start with that. It just seems too overwhelming. Yeah. I, it's always some, some highfalutin idea. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you know, you know who's a complete train wreck that would work for this? <laughs> That's awesome. So now, uh, tell, tell me tell me a little bit about your press. You self-publish. I do. And uh, how long have you been doing that? About 2009. There was a friend of mine who started probably three or four months before I did uh, self-publishing his work, of which he had a ton. And I got insanely jealous and decided he was a horrible person and I needed to do exactly what he was doing. <laughs> And part of it was that I had no familiarity really with the publishing industry and I'm kind of a DIYer. So I went, uh, how can I trust anybody else's input unless I know what I want? So I kind of just took it as a challenge to go, hey, why don't you learn kind of a little bit more about what's going to happen with books other than just writing them? Uh, for a while there, I think 2010, after I kind of got in the swing of things, I put I set myself a challenge to do one a week. So I did a short, I wrote the short story, got it all, you know, got the next one cleaned up, um, did a cover, and and so I was putting out a short story a week for a while there for like wow. I want to say like 20 weeks in a row or something, and that taught me a ton about what I liked and what I didn't like, um, what I could do, what I couldn't. I feel like they they aren't the best stories and they aren't put together like with this insane level of grace or anything. But uh, I feel like I am way more familiar with what's going on than I would have been otherwise. So it was it definitely was not wasted time to me. Sure, sure. I'm still not a huge marketing guru or anything like that, which is my hugest downfall as far as self publishing goes i feel like uh if i could just get someone else to market everything i would be so happy <laughs> <laughs> yes definitely they, that is that is the hardest part there's one thing i find most most challenging i love love the creative end um yes. the, the creative end's a lot of fun and i really don't mind showing up and doing promotions as long as someone else figures out what those promotions should be when and where and does all the the coordination stuff i'm kind of like Oh, I don't want to have to do all the back end work that's invisible and doesn't produce any creative work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's you. Now, do you uh, do you do like book shows or book conventions, or do you do just just like readings and what what kind of what kind of events do you do? I haven't been doing a lot of events. Um, I'm going to be this year. There's some more. I I always go to Pikes Peak Writers. And because they let me teach there. And so they, I, I throw out like 10 nutty topics in October. And then by April, they've got it narrowed down to like three or four. And so I, I research everything and, and I, I do presentations about whatever obsessive thing they want me to talk about. Um, and it's a hoot. Uh, this year, I'm also going to go to Denver Comic Con in June or July. I have to look it up. I'm spacing it right now. And today I went to a high school and I talked to a bunch of really adorable high school kids, which is why I'm kind of hoarse right now. Cause I talked until they, like they kept me there until they kicked us out of the building. I talked to them about, I had this presentation cause you know, me obsessive presentation time um, about, so you want to be a writer. And that was a lot of fun. Not, I'm not going to a bunch of uh, like you are, you're going to all of the shows and setting up tables and, and having a publisher presence there. 
and I, I, every time I do it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so introverted. I just can't deal with this many people and it just burns me down. So yeah, no, that, that's, yeah, that, that, that's a challenge. Every, I, every time I go to these shows, there's like 300 introverts behind tables <laughs> and everybody's glaring at each other. Like get out of the room, <laughs> just go away. I don't care if I sell anything anymore. Just die. <laughs> pretty close it's pretty close <laughs> yeah that's what it feels like uh, they're having me sign at denver comic-con so i have to sit at a table for two hours and sign and i'm like oh gosh i don't know uh i used to do signings at um borders when that was open at barnes and noble there were a couple of community organizer people that would have us in all the time from pikes peak writers and those are fun but people would come up to me and ask for the directions to the bathroom <laughs> yes. So, of course, I would, I would in, eventually tell them where the bathroom was. But first, I had to mislead them horribly because that was the fun part. Um, it, when it's one on one, you're it's much easier for me. And and you know, in a bookstore, people trickle in more slowly, so it's a lot, a lot more bearable. You get the nuttiest questions. People come up to you and like. So I don't read anything that you write and my wife doesn't either. What can you recommend for my wife? <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to a library signing and it wasn't really a signing because I couldn't bring any books. Um, it was a, it was actually an, uh, an arts and technology expo. And there were thousands of people there at this library. It was amazing. But they had all kinds of 3D printers downstairs. And um, they had a guy who brought his coffin in and you could get pictures taken in his coffin. They had uh, wind up toys. They had chocolate that was made in front of you on top of um, a frozen piece of, or not a frozen, but a cold piece of marble. You know, they were doing all kinds of things. It was a maker fair, basically, but they didn't call it that. And, uh, we were there as writers to talk about whatever writing questions you had. And I had this whole big plan about things that I would talk about. And really they just wanted to know, A, where's the bathroom? And B, so you're a writer, what do you write? And they would, you know, that would last about three seconds. And then you would get people just saying weird things. And we had one guy that, that had been through Vietnam and he just started talking. Like he had no interest in books whatsoever. He didn't, his wife did not have interest in books. He just wanted someone uh, who was a captive audience to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> so I, and the other person who was working at the time, we just like, uh-huh, because we, we pulled a lot of details out of him. <laughs> so it, it was one of those perfect meetings where like someone who just wants to get a load off and someone who just wants character details for a story, <laughs> they meet, they fight crime. <laughs> Yeah, I, I get I get where's the bathroom a lot. I always end up near the bathroom whenever I do it. I, I, it's never I don't know how they coordinate this across multiple shows. I don't, even, I don't even think these people know each other, but somehow I end up always near the bathroom. And yeah, I, Stephen King and then there's near the bathroom. Yeah, exactly. And then I, I do get the captive audience. I, I get a lot of I don't they'll, they'll talk to me for 10 minutes. They go, well, I don't read books and they walk away. <laughs> And it's like, why Why are you here? This is a book show. Why are you here? Because my wife is picking out lingerie upstairs. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. How, I, I get a lot of the, the I don't read book types. Um, it's down uh, because your covers, covers are interesting enough to pull in people who are not book types. That's why. I, You know, I, I am proud of my covers. I do get a lot of compliments on the the cover art um you know, even people don't read sci-fi they don't read fantasy they stop and say wow those are really nice i 
But I, I do get a lot of compliments on the covers. I work with a lot of great artists, so. Yes, you do. Yeah. I, I particularly love the covers. Yeah. Um, I really, I really love the the whole endeavor because it's so insane. Everything that people tell you to do as a publisher, they're like, "Oh, you have to have a focus. Oh, you have to have a look. Oh, you have to have this, that, and the other thing." You're like, "You know what? We're going to do it my way." Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. so much fun. Oh, it's much more fun. It's much more personality when you do it, do it on your own. I mean, I, anybody looking at my list of books, you know, Ape Shit and Kennedy Curse, I'm very idiosyncratic in what I think sounds like a fun anthology. And they've been there. They've all turned out really great, but you know, they're not what you would, I'm not James Patterson. I don't have you know, 75 thriller novels that all look the same on my shelf. So um, I will going to maybe impose on you a little bit and have you read. Uh, so tell us about tell us about Alice, your your latest. Again with the obsession. I don't. I'm not obsessive compulsive, but uh, I've always been a huge nerd. So uh, I nerded out about um, Lewis Carroll and Alice Liddell, who are the real people behind. Well, real people hypothetically behind uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Um, uh, Charles Dodson was Lewis Carroll's real name and Lewis Carroll was the pen name. Um, I started out writing, uh, basically I read Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies and I said, oh man, you know what I could do that with? Is Alice in Wonderland? <laughs> and so I just ran around giddy for a while. And then I got to... Um, NaNoWriMo and I needed something to write and it was the last minute and I was like oh you know what I'm going to do I have a brilliant idea well my brilliant idea required way more research so I had to put that off a year um, but as I did much more research I found out that the story behind the writing of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland was almost more more interesting from I don't know a human perspective than um, the book itself although I've always loved the book um, so I decided it was going to be Charles Dodson, AKA Lewis Carroll, the zombie who is telling the story to this very upper class little girl and who is somebody that should never have been trusted with little kids in the first place, let alone, uh, little kids of a class much above his own. Once again, I was motivated by extreme jealousy of somebody else's project and it came out. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So, um, uh, I'll let you get started. Chapter 1, 1856, age 4. Alice, hold still this instant. Mother pinched the top of Alice's ear with sharp fingernails. The small side parlor hadn't been dusted properly. Alice and her sister Ina had tried to do the dusting themselves without much success. That is, Ina had done her dusting in half a moment, then refused to help with the rest, even though she didn't have as much to do, in addition to which Alice had been told to stay off the chairs, which meant that she had only dusted what she could reach from the floor. And, of course, Mother always looked at things from such an incredible height that she only saw what had been missed, and now Ina was staring daggers at her because Mother was annoyed despite Alice having done her best. Edith, the baby, looked ready to break into tears. Ow! Alice cried. Stop pinching me. And shush. Mother picked up the brush and began to apply it vigorously. Too vigorously. We'll just have to hope that the dust on your pinafore won't show in the photograph when Mr. Dodgson comes to take your picture. What were you thinking, doing maid's work? Ow, 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 ow. The harder her mother brushed her hair, the louder she shouted until Ina and Edith had their hands over their ears. She won't let you go until all the knots are out of your hair, Alice, Ina said. It's your punishment for not brushing it yourself. She sat in the one of the pretty chairs with the flowers on the cushions, with her legs crossed at the ankles and a book in her lap. 
Alice rather thought that Ina needed a handful of mud put down her pockets because she seemed so very older sisterish and tidy, which must have been uncomfortable. What about Edith? She always has knots in her hair. She's only a baby, Ina said, then turned the page in the heavy book. Alice wasn't allowed to read books by herself any longer after an accident with a pressed frog two years ago when she was quite younger than she was now. At any rate, none of them wanted to tell Father if anything should happen to one of the books, which meant that keeping Alice and Edith away from them was rather safer. Don't worry about Edith's hair, Alice. Her mother yanked the brush again. Worry about your own. Why can't Miss Prickett brush my hair? Alice asked, speaking before she thought, as usual. She brushes better than you do. Ina's eye flicked toward Alice while she turned another page. Edith banged a wooden spoon on the leg of the chair, trying to crush the dust motes that sparkled in the air. In a second, Mother had taken the spoon from her, dumped Alice over her lap, and beat her several times with the spoon. Don't talk to me about Miss Prickett, her mother exclaimed. Alice bit her lip. Crying out now would only make things worse, because then she would be sent to explain herself to Father. Oh, her mother cried, even your underthings are brown with dust. Alice, what kind of manners is Miss Prickett teaching you? And then her mother hit her again. Ina glanced at Alice again, and Alice understood that now was the time to submit to Mother without another word or whimper. Miss Prickett was something precious, and not to be dragged into Mother's attention more than necessary, especially not today. It's all my fault, Mother. I'm rather wild, you know. Mother released her, brushing her skirts down for her. If you can't behave, then I shall tell Miss Prickett that it is time that she was replaced with someone sterner. Yes, Mother. I shall be quite good. Mother nodded. Indeed, you shall, one way or another. If Alice's contriteness wasn't entirely genuine, it wasn't entirely false, either. The children were all fond of Miss Prickett, even though Alice's fondness tended to show itself as pranks and teasing. Mother was not one to cross. That really happened. Liddell's sisters, there, was, there were three girls and a, and a boy, and then uh, there were some more that came on later, and there were some, some of the kids that died in childbirth, or shortly thereafter. This was, uh, this was Victorian times, and there was a lot of death. These three girls were the, the three closest together and they did everything together and they were the ones who heard the original story they were all two years apart and Ina was just stuck up like you can see from the pictures it just screams blue blood and then Alice is always in trouble every picture she's just this brat and they, they despite it being um, Victorian times they hacked all of her hair off so it was it was uh, basically chin length despite that being not what they really what they did with kids because she just would not take care of her hair. She just was a nut. And then Edith was um, the baby and they babied her and she was just spoiled, spoiled run. But they met Charles Dodson, who was an employee of uh, their father's at uh, Christchurch because photography had just been invented and he was one of the earlier photographers and he was so good that even though he was of a lower class that everyone wanted to have them have him take their picture so he met the three girls because the mother was like well if he's fashionable i will have his have him take their picture so that was that was really how it all started it was, it was so cool very nice very nice excellent well Thank you, Deanna. Thank you for joining me today. You'll be able to find links to Deanna's novels and her stories on Big Pulp on the wiki page. And you'll also be able to see uh, Deanna's smiling face and a biography. Thank you for joining me today. Listeners, if you enjoyed our podcast, please visit bigpulp.com for more. I also hope you'll check out our Patreon page. Uh, it's patreon.com slash bigpulp, where you can support our publications, subscribe, and help us to continue publishing great fiction. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on May 29th. Oh, you don't know nothing, huh? You've been listening to Big Pulp Audio. 
the official podcast of Big Pulp Publications, located online at www.bigpulp.com.